I've got a fall candle lit. Oh, goodness. It must be Halloween. Hell yeah. I thought you were going in a different direction at first. I thought you were going to say you also had a pumpkin spice latte, <laughs> your Ugg boots. I keep forgetting to get the PSL. Like Every time like someone goes to Starbucks for me, when they come back, I'm like, fuck, I should have gotten that. <laughs> it is far too sweet, but it's like a once a year indulgence. I just don't like it. I'm not a big pumpkin person, yeah. I thought you were a person made out of pumpkin. This is news to me. A big pumpkin (laughs) person, yeah. (laughs) You're not a living jack-o'-lantern? I thought about it, but no. No, not your your style. No, not this year. Not this season. (laughs) That's that's out. Oh, okay. What's in? Gourds in general? Squash? (laughs) Yeah, squash specifically. Squash is in. (laughs) I was really sad because I... I usually like to buy a few decorative gourds, and I couldn't this year because I know my idiot cat will try to eat them. Can you eat decorative gourds? Aren't they hard? Or are those fake gourds? They're real gourds. They're hard. But this cat has, I've seen him eat like the root of an onion, you know, like he doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) He's an idiot. Oh my gosh. If he thinks there are nutrients, he will try. (laughs) If there might be nutrients. <laughs> exactly. Oh, he's so dumb. Okay. But he is an appropriately seasonal black cat, so he fits yeah. in with today's theme, which is witchcraft. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty psyched. Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about discussing a YouTube video from the awesome YouTube channel Philosophy Tube. Yes. By Abigail Thorne. This specific one we're talking about is called Witchcraft, Gender, and Marxism. And it kind of draws on, well, lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a pretty broad overview, uh, which is great for our purposes. And, (laughs) you know, seasonally appropriate. And and I'm really excited to talk about it. Hell yeah. So you have kind of a more, I don't know, personal or firsthand experience with this? Yeah, so I'm a very casually practicing witch. And what I mean by that is that, like, I'm pretty dang agnostic, leaning towards atheism. (laughs) Yeah. But I enjoy elements of witchcraft, and I've read about it a bit. Um, I, you know, I follow kind of witchy accounts online, and I use it mainly as a way for like self-reflection and and also like with friends too. Like it's fun to read tarot cards together as friends and just be like, "Ooh, what do you think that means?" I'm like. For me, it's not about trying to like control things or change things or like do a spell for X, you know, result. It's more about like seeing what's coming and knowing a little bit more how to react to it or like thinking about what to look out for. For example, I do tarot once a week to like start my week. And I just use that as to be like, okay, like what does, it's almost like a Rorschach test. Like, what does this bring up in me? Like, what do I, how am I reacting to this imagery and to what I think it means? You know, I'll look up the descriptions and stuff online and be like, okay, because there's such broad descriptions, it's, it's kind of like, okay, which one of these is like jumping out at you? <laughs> mm, yeah. And then you can use that to be like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling a little insecure this week, which, you know, that's most weeks. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you can kind of use it to be like, all right, here's what maybe I should be looking out for this week. And like, here's what I'm feeling. And here's what I want to feel and stuff like that. And then 
because we are Mexican, I also include a, a Loteria card in my weekly draw. And I they have like little riddles that go with them. And so I do kind of a similar thing of like, okay, what does this kind of mean to me? Yeah. Did you know that about Loteria, by the way? <laughs> I did not. We've always played it of just like you say it out loud, like bingo. But apparently each card has a little saying that goes with it. Like um, mm, okay. the sons is like the roof of the poor. And so like, that's like a clue. And you have to figure out like, okay, what's the roof of the poor? And then it's oh. like, oh, it's the sun. Okay. Do you make them up different every time or is it the same one? You just memorize those. It's the like, same one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool though. That's cool. Some of them are really cool. So that's interesting. So, so you're saying you, you use witchcraft like practices or your, you know, casual witchy things. I don't know. It's almost like a, like, like, you know like being culturally catholic or something like being culturally <laughs> is it so is it wiccan is it, would would you describe is or is that a different thing um i think it's slightly different like okay uh, i don't know that's the thing so the the book i read to kind of start my witchy journey is enchantments by M- maya spalter might be mia i'm not sure it's m-y-a i think i've mentioned it on the show before and hers is a very like modern witchcraft in that it's very, I guess, diverse or very like, it's kind of a grab bag of things, which I think is how a lot of witchcraft is practiced, at least nowadays. Eclectic. Yes, that's the word. There's like definitely a heavy European tradition of like, yeah, Wiccans and paganism and things like that. But you can kind of pick and choose whatever it is you're interested in. Like if you're into Greek mythology, like you can use symbols from that. If you're into, you know, in my case, like more Mexican kind of styled things, like you can incorporate that. So it's a much more like holistic practice, I guess, than than saying like, okay, this means this all the time. (laughs) It makes sense to me to take time to kind of take stock of where you're at and what you're feeling. I don't myself practice these things, uh, (laughs) but I, I don't know. That's, that's a cool, seemingly pretty useful thing to do for people is to kind of reflect on where you're at and like your headspace and shit, you know? Yeah. I do a similar thing with like horoscopes. Like I don't actually believe in them. I think they're kind of bullshit, I think there could be a little bit of truth of like, oh, if you're born this month, like in, you know, in the American tradition, like you, maybe you didn't have a summer or a school birthday. So like, maybe that affected you somehow psychologically or, you know, like that Freakonomic story about like, you know, if you're born in this time of year, you're going to be always the biggest one in the class and how that affects you. So like, there could be a little bit to it, but I, I don't think most of it is like real. I also use those as like kind of prompts as well. Like if I read my horoscope, it's like, hmm, like how am I reacting to the sentence? Especially co-star is like triggering. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they go really intense and you're just like, wow, I didn't really need that one. Yeah. I don't know. My horoscope readings are always just completely wrong. (laughs) Yeah. You're the weirdest fucking Aries. Yeah. (laughs) I'm told that I'm not at all Aries, right? You're not. Aries is supposed to be like aggressive (laughs) and you're like the least aggressive thing. Yeah. Sorry, Aries. (laughs) I'm misrepresenting you. But no, I guess I don't check it often enough to get like the right ones, you know, because I think that's with any any of these is like you check them often enough. You discount the ones that are wrong and you're like, oh, but this. Yeah, I read it this time and it was completely right. Like, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely part of it, too. There's some self-editing. Like, I've, I've done that with Tara before. Like, one time I drew a card, I'm like, this just doesn't apply. And I'm not just saying that because this is kind of a bad card. <laughs> it just straight up did not apply to me. Yeah. 
But yeah, that's kind of my background with it. I mostly use it for like introspection and intention setting, that kind of thing. Yeah, cool. Well, let's get into the video then. All right, yeah. It I love its opening. Um this it's the the whole aesthetic that she puts on is this like campfire scary story sort of oh, thing, yeah. you know. Mhm. I love it. I love the production value in this video. Yeah. And I uh, all of her videos are, are are well done in this way, like so much style. Oh yeah, it's cool. Gorgeous. I just just yeah fanboying over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's like over the top, just wonderful. Part of the opening, her discussion about uh, atheism and having been kind of a hardcore atheist. Yeah, I was kind of confused as to where this fit into the rest of the stuff. Did I just like kind of miss that? No, because uh, later on it does come back up again. The idea here is that atheism was presenting this very, like, logical analysis of the world, but that the way that, like, kind of new atheism or whatever packages that is is alongside these more right-wing ideologies and stuff, and, and like, Islamophobia and things like that. And then it, it kind of circles back around in the video. She kind of circles back around to that in saying that that like sort of scientific view of the world is, is kind of like the, the more capitalist view, like the rational. Okay. I think that was the tie in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds right. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting too, as someone who like does kind of <laughs> this borderline atheist. Mm-hmm. And I mostly am just saying that to hedge my bets. <laughs> <laughs> Pascal's wager, huh? Ugh, I'm not as bad about it as some people, but like, I, I just feel like it's just a lot of unlearning to do. Like if you're raised Catholic, it's like, well, they literally told you from a baby, like, this is what you're going to do. So <laughs> it, it, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I think that is kind of an interesting way to frame this as, and I, I think she does a good job of that in that a lot of people you know, including her, you know, they don't believe in witchcraft and like, including myself, like, I don't believe in it, but it's nice. <laughs> and I think that's kind of an important distinction of like, it doesn't really matter if something is, you know, 100% effective, or like, in capitalism's case, productive, you know, like, there's, there's more to life than that. Uh, so would you say this is, you know, more valuable for its symbolism is that what you're saying so i view witchcraft as like kind of inherently anti-capitalist in a lot of ways like I, I think it's valuable in terms of like emphasizing female power you know subverting the patriarchy and gender roles that respect for the natural world the idea of community you know like covens are just community <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. like that's really cool the idea of like you are more powerful when you work together with somebody to me like all those things are like i i at least on the accounts that I follow, a lot of them are pretty lefty. I see. So, so my uh, characterization of symbolics not quite right. What I'm, I guess, that I mean then is it, it's still we're still saying the same thing that it doesn't do actively do anything, right? Okay, yeah. You're not like changing the weather pattern or something, but you are. I think ideologically, it's valuable, right? Is what you're saying? That's what I would say. Yeah. Cause at least that's how I feel about it. Like you're feel to believe whatever you want to believe about this, but 
yeah, I view it less as like, yeah, I'm trying to change X, Y, Z and more of like, I'm trying to change my view on it. I'm trying to change like my intentions, my mindset, like changing what you have control over and how you react to things. As my therapist would say, that's all you can control. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think what, when you, uh, yeah, there's a stronger point to be made when you're talking about community, right? Is that if we see everything as bound up in this kind of holistic system, as you know, we can work together and people are kind of have these other connections that don't seem, uh, that aren't like spelled out rationally or anything that everything does kind of work together. That's, I I would say that's more important than figuring things out for yourself on a personal level. That gets into kind of more of that like liberal sort of kind of coping with the (laughs) the bad (laughs) effects of, of capitalism just to get through the day, which is important, but I don't know. That's not what our broader project's about. I think that's a good point. And, and that's something I want to get better about with like my practice, the idea of including people in on, on these kinds of things. And, and the times that I have done that have been really nice. Like, like I said, just like reading tarot together and just like kind of helping people work through their issues and work through, you know, I I think it helps to tell other people your goals and like your concerns, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're kind of sharing that burden of like, yeah, I also feel fucked up about capitalism too. So you can be like, Ooh, it's not just me. (laughs) Yeah. You're not alone. That's a powerful feeling. I also don't want to, I don't want, I don't want that to be interpreted like, Hey, are you doing a thing that's not directly helping the revolution? Like, please find something better (laughs) to do with your time. time. Yeah. That's not (laughs) it. I mean, you know, Definitely take time for everybody should take time for themselves and do those things that make them feel good. I just, I don't know. I'm always thinking in those terms like, well, how does this relate to like the overall class struggle <laughs> and things? Because I'm a nerd. <laughs> I think there's a way to interpret cards like that. If you're, if you're doing tarot, for example, you know, like I, I follow accounts that have done, you know, kind of more community based readings or like, Hey, what is, you know, let's, there's an account called Witches for Bernie. And like, it was, it's really fun to follow because they're like, okay, like, what do you think this means in relation to like the world? And I, I think there's ways to interpret that like, okay, you know, even if I'm still looking at something from an individual perspective, you can read the cards as to like, how do I want to incorporate this into like a broader cause or something like that? Like, you know, for example, if I get a card that's like, hey, you know, you should show up more for this this cause or something you should be more bold about your ideas like you could definitely interpret that in like a a leftist lens if you wanted to okay yeah that makes sense i don't know i i think that's a good point though like i think there's there's a lot of different ways to approach it basically you know you can you can turn it into whatever you want to make it which is why Mm -hmm. i really enjoy it because it, it is such a flexible practice and and like i said like i think it's kind of it has the potential it has the potential to be like super white and like European and <laughs> shit like that, yeah. you know, like <laughs> there's definitely some, you know, kind of turfy views out there about like the power mm. of women and stuff like that, which this video touches on a little bit, but it doesn't have to. <laughs> right. You know, I try to make mine like anti-colonial by like including like indigenous traditions and stuff like that. Like there's, there's ways to approach it in a way where you can kind of pick and choose what is meaningful for you. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I think that socialism and communism can be that way as well. It can be very white and male and European if you let it. Like, For sure, yeah, yeah. I know, we are always like, man, have we done too many Russians lately? <laughs> right, yeah, so 
there's you know a broader tradition to draw from that you just have to be aware of that it's that it's there that it's you know an option to include it's not an option to include honestly to tell the real story it needs to be a part of it because i mean like the liberation of the global south is a big part of our project yeah yeah exactly it it is optional you do have to kind of go looking for it like it's harder to do but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it yeah okay what does this video do (laughs) we start with chapter one the powers of old europe uh which kind of sets the scene of the eras of the 15th to 17th century the witch hunts Uh, i liked her characterization of the simple witch hunt history which is kind of our (laughs) just general received history of it right of people were stupid, just kind of like thought that there was magic and, and, and black magic happening. So they were just burning witches, but then they're like, oh shit, magic doesn't actually exist. Let's stop doing that. And then everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is It is kind of like a, a super simplified view of like, man, people sure were dumb. <laughs> right. And that's like, honestly, that's what people's first experience when they learn about the witch hunts are is like, really? They used to do that? I thought it was interesting because one of my like kind of formative memories on like learning about witchcraft would be when we read, um, I think it was, was it just called Tichuba? Well, the Crucible. Yeah. I think we read parts of it in, in class. Yeah. Um, Like in our English class. And I remember just being really like haunted by it. You know, in that sense of like, yeah, how can people do this? Like, you know, were people that done? But for me, like, it was very obvious, like, even from that first exposure that like, this has a ton of, like, racist elements in it. Because like, the whole trials really pinned on on blaming this woman, Tichuba, and her spiritual traditions and calling them evil. Yes, yeah. I mean, like, the the person, you know, make, making her less of a human dehumanizing her in that way and those those practices as barbaric as needing to be stomped out as evil in some way yeah yeah and to me it also like screamed of like white fragility and like white women in particular weaponizing their tears to like get black women in trouble like (laughs) that's definitely a thing that was going on and still goes on like because it was these like young girls who you know made a scene and and freaked the fuck out about it and I mean, they got in trouble too, but like she took the brunt. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the video focuses on is the kind of a, a more accurate explanation of the roots of and the results of the witch hunts of the 15th to 17th century uh, that are stated to have killed somewhere between 60,000 to 100,000 people. Insane. Yeah. And the estimates are, you know, they, they, there can be lower than that as well. But that's still a lot of people, like, even on the low end of that. The low end is not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was a brutal process. Uh, and she talks about this as the, uh, the tra- as part of the transition from feudalism to capitalism. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I have never heard this connection made before. You know, like, it, it just, it's seen as a strictly religious kind of sentiment and you know obviously it was in in many ways but like i thought it was really great to frame it as into like an economics kind of view yeah to fuse the two together that sort of you know base and superstructure idea that we've talked about before reminder for students out there that's the idea (laughs) of the 
base being capitalism, right? And then the superstructure is all the stuff that supports capitalism. So things like racism and imperialism and like the ideology that goes into supporting it. Religion often plays a big part. Yeah, and how the two reinforce one another. It's not just that the base creates the superstructure or the superstructure, you know, influence the base. Or by, there's like, there's a two-way street going back and forth between the two. The twin the pillars. Two. <laughs> Sorry, I've been re-watching Game of Thrones, in case you can't tell with all my Game of Thrones references lately. <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh, bring myself to, but... I'm at the point now where I don't want to finish it and I'm just reading fan fiction instead. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> the last episodes are so bad. I'm like, I would just rather read like someone else's ideas. <laughs> so she makes this point about the the Black Death basically causing a, a huge labor market shift of, hey, you don't have any fucking workers. We get to make demands on you. And like, you know, someone living in 2021, it's like, wow, <laughs> weird how that's happening again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, the Black Death orders a magnitude worse. I mean, it killed a third of Europe. But the concept is still the same, that the survivors are in a, they have leverage in a labor market and can make demands of their lords because they're, you know, they're like serfs and shit. Uh, and also kind of the proto-capitalist class that, you know, Engels talks about kind of emerging, the emerging capitalists, uh, they have to kind of, I mean, they have to compete. Because back then, you couldn't post a sign on the front of your manorial estate saying, sorry, <laughs> there are no crops, no one wants to surf anymore. Uh, that didn't cut it. <laughs> you, you couldn't just do that. What would you do? Well, I mean, you had to pay, you know, you, you had to start giving your, you know, freeing serfs, giving them more political liberties. Uh, you had to compete with, so like uh, talking about the countryside versus the city, people were going to the city where people were competing for workers. So you had to, you know, compete to try to bring people back, to try to keep people where you were, uh, give them more uh, benefits for being your, for working on your land. And that kind of meant giving them some more freedom and stuff. It's, you know, it's just interesting. Like nowadays people just whine and say, oh, well, the government's, you know, paying them too much. And, oh, we can't find, no one wants to work. You know, back then they probably had the same complaints, but they realized they had to do something about it. Yeah. I'm like, where's that element right now? We're kind of missing that piece. We haven't gotten shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe Striketober will change that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I doubt it, but you know. It's good to have hope sometimes. There's a lot of labor unions going on strike and, you know, this call for a general strike or whatever that we panned in the past, if it does manage to unite with these actual, you know, worker backed strikes, the, these, these real labor strikes, then it could be, a, it could be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as of recording, it's a very long list of workers on strike, lots of different companies. So like, that's pretty hopeful. Uh-huh. And it's it's um there there were workers out on strike in Petrograd and people go out and and join with them on International Women's Day. That's what kicks off like the Russian Revolution. So it could be a big deal. Could happen, we'll see. So I like in this section she talks about the like you said, the labor shortage. Uh and you have kind of the nascent anti feudal, anti capitalists, and also in the colonies, which you gotta, you know, picture are growing are, are being brutally acquired by the imperial powers at the time even uh, the, the resistance to colonization 
you know, all these movements. Yeah, she mentions the Taki Ungoy movement, which I had not heard of. This is in Peru. Ah, so it's like an indigenous resistance movement to Christianity slash to uh, just conquest to to the Spanish yeah. conquest of Peru. Oh no, it was a dancing craze. I'm. Did you know I have a big fear of dancing crazes? Why? Just don't eat any moldy bread. You'll be fine. I get. I will freak myself out by reading about them. <laughs> They're super cool. I don't know why mass hysteria events are just so scary to me. They're awesome. No, they're so scary. <laughs> anyway, it looks like this was one where like they they went crazy and danced in in nice. order to restore pre-Columbian conditions. Which, like, you know, if I if I had the ability to do that with crazy dancing, then fine, I'll get on board. But I don't think that dance would work. to end capitalism. Let's go. <laughs> we gotta have a dance off. <laughs> it's like a lock in. <laughs> All right, we got striketober. We got dance. December? No, that doesn't work. December's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it could be Movember, like you're moving your body. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Though that sounds like it's a fitness program. It does. I don't want to do that. It sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. so she references them, and then also the diggers in England. Who are these guys? So the diggers are this very interesting, kind of weird group stemming from the chaos of the English Civil Wars. This is a super complex event that Americans are not very well versed at. It's like Americans can tell you, like historical nerds of American history can be like, oh, yeah, this weird civil war battle, you know, the second (laughs) battle of Bull Run. And yeah, the same (laughs) thing for the English Civil Wars, but they have just completely different names. And you're just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like they were just always civil warring until like, I don't know. Elizabeth or something. That is the worst historical take ever. I'm just like, I don't know. They did a lot of yeah. fighting. They changed kings a lot. Britons are pulling their hair out right now. Just I know. I, I'm so sorry, guys. I can't guys. believe this. What is <laughs> their problem? Why are so bad at this? Um, I didn't have to learn it. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> but you're, you're talking about the 1600s, okay? And so uh, by 1649, the parliamentarians, so that's parliament, right? That makes sense. Uh, they had defeated King Charles the uh, first and, and his, his kind of loyalist forces or the Cavaliers is what they were called. And they like capture him and they can't come to a like negotiation for a constitution. Like they want it, they want him still to be King, but like with limits on his power. Uh, but the problem is he's like, no, I'm a King. I'm absolutely in control. Fuck you. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. E- even though like he's, you know, captured by them or whatever so they uh (laughs) are pissed and eventually they're like this is bullshit he's lying to us he's scheming to you know get back on the throne and completely empower so they put him on trial and they execute oh shit okay yeah so before even you know a hundred years more before the french are lopping off heads the english were doing it yeah that's pretty impressive and it's during this kind of crazy time after the king's been executed Uh, there's now like a council of state in charge. Uh, You variously call this the interregnum or the Commonwealth period. There's a lot of different groups out there saying, what should we do next? You know? So you had like Oliver Cromwell. This is a guy people know about even, even 
lousy Americans know about. I've heard the name. Is he the one that was into creepy shit, or is that the other guy with the creepy name? <laughs> You're thinking of Alistair Crowley? God damn it, I am. I always mix those two up. <laughs> they both have creepy guy names. They both sound like they'd be played by like Benedict Cumberbatch or something. You know uh, what I mean? Fair, yeah. yeah, Oliver Cromwell, way di- a different sort like. of creepy. Uh, okay. But he wanted to kind of do like a like a, a landowner's parliament, which is kind of what they already yeah. had, you know. He just wanted parliament to be in charge. You had the levelers, which was kind of this like sort of liberal reform of like, let's have every every household vote. Well, you know, every male head of the household vote. Mm-hmm. You know, something for their day. <laughs> That's not but crazy. also this element of kind of land reform. You know, they were kind of anti-enclosure oh, okay. movement. What is that? So the enclosure movement was where you used to have these lands held in common. At the in the English villages and countryside and stuff, and then the rich people just started enclosing off that pri- that land and privatizing it for themselves. And what the fuck? <laughs> and people were like, "Yeah, what the fuck? This is messed up." But like the rich people <laughs> controlled the courts, so they got to do it. Okay, got it, got it. Well, I'm also anti enclosure then. <laughs> you had uh, crazy groups like the Fifth Monarchy Men that wanted to bring about a theocracy. Oh, great, great. Cool. So there's all sorts of crazy ideas out there. And into this mix, you have the diggers. All right. Were they really into digging? Kind of. That's where they get their name from (laughs) is this one thing that they do. Uh, But in 1649, a guy named Gerard Winstanley, who was a tailor, publishes a pamphlet in which they call themselves the true levelers because they think that like the the levelers are kind of too liberal and too centrist, you know? To me, the levelers were like, it sounded like before I knew what they were, it was like, let's just blow it all up. <laughs> let's just start over guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But these guys are like, no, Leveling. really let's do that. The levelers was sort of a, was sort of a pejorative sort of like a, Oh, you just want to love. Yeah. Kind of like you said, you just want to level the whole thing. The true levelers were like, no, but we do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but really though, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. They were like, let's level the hedges that divide up this, these private plots that used to be common land. And let's, let's, let's all farm this land together in common, make communes, and thereby level society in a good way. You know, first shall be last and last shall be first. And it was, and I say that because it was very wrapped up in theology. So it was a religious, it was a Christian movement. Gerard Stanley, his writings are, are rife with, um, with just saying like, it's not like he's using the religious language, like he is, uh saying that if you are someone who really reads the Bible and believes in what Christ is saying, then you're going to be, you're going to be a socialist basically is what he's arguing. Yeah. Yeah. Like saying like, this is the true meaning of it instead of saying like, yeah, you could interpret it like this. Yeah. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not making something up here. Like this is just how it is. Uh, so they go out and the way they get their name, they have a group of them, a shoemaker, a cloth maker, a householder, a blacksmith, a molster, which is a, a brewer, basically, a baker and a baker's apprentice. They go out to St. George's Hill in Surrey and occupy some land and start farming it. When you're listing those occupations, I'm like, this sounds either like a, like a mother goose tail or like a riddle. <laughs> like, what order should they enter the house? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or a logic puzzle. It's like one of them yeah. drives a, yeah. One of them only wears red. Right. <laughs> I used to love those. Uh, so they, they put a manifesto out and they're like, the work we are going about is this, to dig up George's Hill and 
waste ground thereabouts and to sow corn and to eat our bread together by the sweat of our brows. Sounds cool. So yeah, they just like started doing these kind of uh, utopian communes throughout England. They just like, we're just going to do it. You know, just we're showing up, we're doing it. Come (laughs) join us. fuck it. Well, the problem was like this, you know, this land was like owned. And so they just keep getting evicted. Mm, At first they kind of like talk, you know, the army shows up and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and, and he's like, <laughs> uh, you know, we're just, we're just doing our thing, man. Leave us alone. And, and they kind of, they don't rough them up or anything yet. They just tell the local landowners there like, uh, sue them. That'll get them out. And eventually the, the, the local lords of the manor, this is still kind of a feudal situation almost is, um, they, they start just like using private armies and stuff and, and, and evicting them, getting them out. So they're like, I mean, they're around for like a year, but they're really radical in how they present all this. And it's it's this weird glimmer of like, you know, pre-Marxian socialism in the midst of this otherwise just pretty crazy tumultuous time, you know, with all these sorts of different, I, I know, ideas floating out there, this weird glimmer of, you know, albeit a religious version of it, a socialism happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the 1600s and we don't get Marx till like what, 18... 90s yeah well the 18 like 60s well he's writing even before then so the 1800s (laughs) he doesn't really pop off though yeah yeah that's crazy like that's that is super early on the scene and you know the video talks about like yeah you can definitely see these as like dumb peasant results and they often are characterized by that but like these were actually pretty sophisticated ideas yeah yeah it's it's not just oh, the poors got mad or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a critique. The The world, you know, the world around them was so in flux, so crazy, that so many things seemed possible. And it's just interesting to note that one of the things that seemed possible enough for them to, you know, form a whole movement around it was, hey, guys, let's start a commune. Yeah. I mean, shit, the world looks pretty crazy right now. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. But a lot of these movements, not that one in particular with the diggers, but a lot of these movements, uh, broadly speaking, these anti-feudal, anti-capitalist, anti-colonial movements had a l- prominent role for women. Yeah. So the next section talks about kind of the power women held then. And I think this is something we've touched on before. Um, it's something I always bring up is is the book Marriage, a History, and it kind of talks about how you know, we see women's progress as a linear kind of thing when in actuality, it was very much back and forth for a while. And a lot of that had to do with the relationship to capitalism of of kind of subjugating women to certain kinds of work, hiding labor, things like that. Not to totally romanticize the past and be like, yeah, obviously we should go back to fucking farming serfs or whatever. <laughs> like, that would be great because women yeah. have more power. <laughs> but like, if you do look at like material conditions, women did have it better in those situations. Yeah. And I think she does a good job of bringing that up in, in the video, too, and saying like, yeah, we have like modern advances and those are good. Right. But uh, part of being critical about history and about society today is recognizing that while things may be better in some respects, they are worse in other respects. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's just the idea of nuance guys. <laughs> like you, you have to be able to, to say like, yes. And <laughs> well, what's our phrase? Two things can be true. 
my mantra. <laughs> so yeah, she talks about how women had a lot of social power in medieval Europe, and a lot of that comes down to a widespread belief in magic. You know, I, I, there's a really common idea of magic being used to explain the world because they didn't have science. And like, yeah, some that was definitely some of that. But a lot of it, like one, it, a lot of it was kind of their science and like it was real science. Like if you think about like herbal, herbal uses, you know? Yeah. Like that was just, that's just medicine. And it still kind of is like, I'm not saying like only do herbal medicine, but like <laughs> it has a, it has its place. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's to the, ex- you know, that's the extent that they had medicine even at the time, right? Like they did just had not advanced to medicinal uses past that, past like herbs and, and things like that, or, or concoctions, poultices, things like that. I sound like I'm talking about a D&D thing here, but. <laughs> <laughs> your components, your small yeah. components. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a real scientific approach. I mean. Yeah, that that was their their local doctors would be would be healing women and midwives. That was a huge thing. And so, you know, that gives them this position of power, a, a way to make income, you know, an independently made income, community respect, like that's pretty big. And that definitely challenges that idea like you were saying of the linear progression, the wig history of things gradually get better, right? In that Things used to be that way, specifically for the social role of women we're, we're talking about. Again, things were worse in other ways. I mean, lots of people were walking around with no teeth in their head. You know, <laughs> didn't have modern dentistry. But specifically in that social role, there was this more uh, egalitarian in terms of like gender, anyway. Yes. So this is the first sticking point I have with this video. The, the idea of magic as being getting something for nothing. Like, yeah, that's why you would do magic or that is the result of magic. Yeah. And, and, you know, I kind of set this up with how I view like modern witchcraft earlier. Like, that's just I don't see it as that transactional. Because, <laughs> yeah, you were talking about that. It's not I do a thing. I say the right words because she kind of characterizes as that is like, say the right words, put in the right ingredients and you can make these things happen. And you're specifically saying that's not what I'm about. At least is I'm not trying to make something happen. I'm trying to kind of gain insight. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's just like my <laughs> school of magic, you know, like that's what I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. It's a different, uh, <laughs> it's a different school of magic. You're divination. I do divination, I guess. <laughs> You're not about evocations or anything like that. And and maybe this is just like the kind of of accounts and and things that I interact with. But like to me, that is not a super a lot about what the modern movement is about. It's it is more about like that intention setting and more about because I, I think people realize like yeah, I cannot promise you you're gonna fucking fly because like that's that's dangerous. I'm not gonna send people to go fly. <laughs> so you know people have kind of modified their practices to be a little more, I mean, down to earth, no pun intended, but, <laughs> but <laughs> a little more um, spiritual and a little less transactional. But I mean, I think it makes sense in this context of like, historically, yeah, that is what people were trying to do. And in many ways, that is what happened. Like, you know, there are fucking herbs that people would take to like induce abortions and stuff like that was a thing. So like, and if you know, you're doing that, you could absolutely see that as magic. Well, in that way, it's just kind of cause and effect. But yeah, but like a lot of it 
was probably wrapped up in much more like ceremony than just like, hey, mm. you know, eat this. <laughs> you know, eat it this, was probably yeah. like, okay, I gotta like pick it at the right time, which again, that could also be a thing too. Like, I don't fucking know enough about plants to say like that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, you gotta pick it under the full moon, you gotta boil it or whatever it is. Like, there, I'm mm-hmm. sure there are kind of ritualistic steps involved in a lot of like herb craft. Yeah, that makes sense. But I I just, I think that's an interesting distinction between like kind of historical witchcraft and and more of the modern movement, at least how I understand it. Again, I am not an expert. You don't speak for all witches? Um, weird. They haven't been using the telepathic link I set up for them. Pretty rude, honestly. (laughs) Don't know what's up with that. (laughs) Yeah, I got ghosted. (laughs) She also brings up Harry Potter as a bourgeois fantasy and like... Mmm, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> There's hardly anything more liberal than Harry Potter. Yeah, have you seen that long post that kind of like goes into it and like this is actually just a liberal fantasy? Mm, no, I don't think. Well, I, I have seen the thing about how like they grow up and, you know, Harry becomes a cop and. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> it is just like everything returns to the status quo and it's just like it was just one bad guy. We just had to get him out and like. You know, super telling that when Trump got in office, everyone was making the Harry Potter and Voldemort comparisons. And it's like, are you guys okay? (laughs) Yeah, it's... Yeah. It is super bourgeois. I like that she mentioned, you know, they're doing this kind of scientific approach to magic and understanding it all. But like, also in this private school, there's... It's kind of a messed up society in terms of like, you know, they do definitely have like... Oh, yeah. Rich and poor, like, families generationally and and everything. And (laughs) slaves, too. And, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty fucked. Um, But but I think, actually, this might be a good critique of of that transactional nature that I was talking about. Like, Harry Potter is super transactional in that, like, you literally just say the right words and move your, like, wand in the correct way. Yeah. And you get, you know, a, a concrete result. Whereas... I think she was explaining that it's it's not about trying to explain things. It's about like accepting unexplained things, you know? Yeah. The refusal of an explanation. Yeah. Being like, fuck, I don't know why it works, but it does. <laughs> right. I don't know how I thought about that. I felt like I kind of come from things, you know, the, the outlook that I like to hold myself to is that scientific socialism is this idea of like figuring out the way that the world works and figuring out how to use that to free people. And so you can't, I don't know, there's not a lot that I want to shrug my shoulders at and say, I don't don't know, you know, that's, that's just something. (laughs) I think my thing, like my resistance to a pure scientific method of socialism is I, I think what she touches on in the end of the video is, is whenever people find ways to justify things like we were talking about earlier, you know, the quality of life under capitalism. I think a lot of of scientific socialism spends its time on saying like, no, see, this is actually more productive and this is actually better for you. When like, I'm kind of judgy and I, I like being able to be like, no, this is just like morally correct to do, <laughs> you know? Mm. Like I get very exhausted by arguments. They're like having to explain like, no, here's how it would actually work. Like, no, this, we have enough resources. It'll be fine. Like, comforting people i get very tired of that kind of like logic argument and i just want to be like hey i think this is what would be better for us as people i'm not saying i reject it i just i'm saying like again yes and (laughs) i think it's just the right thing to do 
and this is, you know, I think, I think we repeatedly kind of have this, you know, slight division of like our, our flavors that we prefer is that you tend to be more on the kind of like anarchist side of, you know, like, you know, Kropotkin going out there and, and saying like, Hey, this is right. You know, all for all, this is what we should do versus like, logically, here's why steps, you know, here, here, here's why this will work this way. Here are the steps we need to take. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that kind of just is our personalities as well. Like, aren't you like INFP, I think? Yes. And I am I am INFJ. And the J is judgy. I'm really fucking judgy. <laughs> Whereas you're like, I want to understand things. Yeah. And isn't it, though, though, that doesn't mean like judgy, like you make judgment on people. It's more like taking action or something like that. I don't know. I'm not a big. Yeah. Like I, I have like, I guess, a moral compass and I'm very obsessed with it. Yeah. By the way, interesting documentary on Myers-Briggs. It's on HBO. It's called Persona, and it's about like personality quizzes and kind of the harm they can do in the hiring process. Super interesting. Ooh, interesting. And also like the history of Myers-Briggs. Like it was just made by like a lady who had no qualifications. So, <laughs> And her mom, right? Or one of the other, like they were mo- mother and daughter. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that is just kind of a difference we have in like how we prefer to approach these things. Like I'm, I'm like kind of humanist to a fault i think (laughs) hey the real marxist uh analysts or you know people who really study marx will tell you there's a lot of humanism in him so so that's a very valid way to be a communist hey thanks thanks for validating (laughs) me another thing she brings up um is what the goal of capitalist society is which is to transform life into the capacity to work, to kind of boil everything down to simply uh, input-output, right? Uh, just a bare, a raw mechanical thing. Bleak but true is what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do think there's a big effort on the part of capitalism these days to dress that up in all sorts of ways. Uh, to distract people oh, from yeah. that, that that's their ultimate goal. But I think that is, that does kind of remain true that that is their ultimate goal is to make sure that they can extract as much from people as possible. So with this goal of like trying to increase capacity, basically they looked at these, these kind of powerful women and said, mm, that's not going to work for us. See, we can't have these <laughs> independent women running around, you know, making their own income and not, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. That would be most productive, which in this time period would be making babies. Mm, yeah. That's the next chapter. Baby makers. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Uh, yeah. And one thing I, I do want to mention, because we're, we're talking about that, like they're sitting back and looking at the system and saying, hmm, what should we do? You know, I think she mentions later, like <laughs> if this wasn't really an intentional process. This is something we've mentioned a lot before is that, Capitalism doesn't really require anyone to, there's no smoke filled rooms, right? But people's class interest drives them to be in a conspiracy without really being in one, right? They operate in a coordinated way that looking back, you're like, whoa, they just kind of decided to do this. But really it was just because of their like class compulsions. It's a secret conspiracy, which is the best kind. <laughs> it's a so double secret, blind conspiracy. Not even the members. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't even know about it. Oh. But I, I think that's an important distinction. Have you listened to the all the latest Trillbillies? Have you are you caught up? 
I am, yes, I am caught up. They they get into that discussion fairly recently where they, they talk about like, it was that mad survey on conspiracy theories. Did you? Oh, hear that hell one? yeah. No, I saw that, that on. Insane. Yeah, I saw that on the Washington Post, which is like, oh, oh my God. I couldn't tell which one of those was worse, that one or the one about, um, you know, we can cut this, but the one about uh, the the far left authoritarianism quiz. I was like, these are the worst written survey questions. Like, as someone who works with researchers, like, oh my God, these are some leading ass questions. <laughs> Horribly written. See, the left-wing authoritarianism one was bad, but at least it was, like, openly made by the American Enterprise Institute, so you mm-hmm. knew. The Washington Post one, like, man, I failed the first question. I was like, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein murdered. <laughs> uh, shit, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was insane. But they were, they were talking about how, like, there is this trend in kind of the, maybe the sock dem left, or, you know, the more center left, to instead of villainizing people to instead make it entirely systemic. And and I think the right thing is kind of a balance between the two. Be like, yeah, these people are definitely motivated by class interests and like, but they are, you know, you can also still be evil in that system. Like, I do oh, think yeah. that's an evil choice some of these people are making. Like, I think both things are true. Yeah, and both things are, are useful in their way. It's important to have the overall systemic viewpoint. But like you said, if it's used to say, well, we just got to, make small changes so that we can change the system overall. <laughs> That's one approach. Another approach is to take fucking scalps to make people afraid to do, you know, to do the bad things at, like as a class, like to, you know. Th- yeah, like these people have addresses. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing is that it it can be used like whenever you can make enough systemic arguments to seem like you're defending these people and like I ain't never going to defend fucking Elon Musk or something like no. <laughs> like I can just shit in his own face as far as i'm concerned to be more reasonable because it is kind of annoying to have you know left-wing assholes just be like oh let's just go kill people like you know okay we know we're not going to do that tomorrow (laughs) but but like there are concrete steps there are people that you can like directly target with campaigns in legal ways (laughs) you can just be mean to them (laughs) we can do the dispossessed just fucking ostracize them (laughs) there's also like mass action there are companies who you can bring to their knees you know and and i mean the system's going to be just as mad at you for that as you would if you firebombed a place but like you know that's it's a more it's less propaganda of the deed like grandstanding and more like literally taking economic action right yeah yeah trying to take that control yeah and teaching people about their class interests in the school of the streets as they are taking their destiny into their own hands as they're like figuring out, Oh, Hey, look me and everybody else, we can team up together and fucking do this. Yeah. But I, I think it is important to, to teach both the systemic and the individual thing, because in the States, especially there is this intense defense of, of both of those things of, of both capitalism and this, this hero worship of people who have made it. So I think it's important to attack it from both of those angles. That's true. And plus, focusing on individuals, I mean, it does give you somebody to hate, you know? It's powerful. Which is useful. (laughs) Yeah. We all love a hex. (laughs) So, back to the video, though. What they did about all these women running around was they rolled back rights on people. (laughs) And so that's everything from, you know, the ability to own property, to abortion rights, to contraception, sex work, anti-homosexuality laws, 
sex in general, <laughs> unless you were specifically making a baby. Yeah, yeah, there's documented evidence of that. And not just in, you know, England specifically, but like America absolutely did this. Like she talks about how they're basically creating the ideal woman of someone who is chaste and at home and taking care of the baby. Like that was your new role was to to raise the next generation. And this also had a, a colonial impact as well. You know, like that's when you get all of these like anti-sodomy laws in places where like there previously were not those laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all got the effect of giving women a new job. Uh, because before capitalism, like you did not have uh, an industry. There were domestic industries somewhat. There's a cottage industries where people are, are making things, manufacturing things in their homes and things like that. Uh, or farming and and whatnot, which all had women participating in that. Literal cottage industry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where that comes from. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> in addition to, you know, they, I mean, women did still have the, you know, traditional, the, the, the sexist role of, the, you know, they had to raise the, the children and, and keep the family and everything. They also had that, that economic role. And so that economic prestige, I guess, social prestige of contributing. Uh, to their society and what they're what they're breaking is that area and saying no 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 you can't do any of that now you are just going to be in the domestic sphere you're just and you're and you're no longer raising your kids to like help you with shit to help you produce for yourself you're now strictly keeping these kids alive and and then sending them off so someone else can steal their labor power and sending them to school so they can learn how to be little workers <laughs> yeah which was how the school system was set up in the first place. I like uh, what you mentioned about the, the witch hunts creating the ideal that they were looking for this, uh, you know, docile woman. And on the other, the flip side of that, a dominant man, a dominant man holding the leash, she says, you know? Yeah. Like it it is kind of like the antithesis, like here's what you don't want to be. And we're going to go, you know, prosecute those people. Yeah, the witchcraft charges were were focused on uh, kind of the way they were framed. Oh, had this like reproductive deviance sort of thing going on, right? So, uh, sacrificing children, but you're like supposed to be nurturing and good to children and everything, but you're sacrificing <laughs> them, right? Or consorting—that's the word they would use—consorting with the devil, which had this like sexual nature, like you know, you're out there banging the devil, I guess. Hot. <laughs> causing impotence <laughs> stealing penises i thought that was an interesting uh charge that one's hilarious stealing penises just yoinking it away just whoop. <laughs> i mean there's got to be an interesting backstory to what really happened uh yeah right did someone get their dick cut off <laughs> right the guy bringing the charge has to be real that, that sucks really committed to the bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> either he got his dick chopped off or he lied about it, and it's just going to have to live the rest of his yeah. life, like, lying about not having a dick. Yeah, now he's, you know, no dick McGee over there. <laughs> or it fell off from, like, an STD or something. Oh, maybe. Could be. I don't know. Could be. That's messed up. Anyway. That's a crazy STD. Anyway, we do not know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but all these charges, right, they kind of form the other or the, like, the evil you know, they are uh, framed as, she puts it, the perversion of a natural order, which is actually really like what you're trying to bring about. The natural order never really existed. You're creating it by claiming that that's the natural order of things. 
Yeah. And I think there was overall, if you look at like the Puritan movement as a whole, you know, not just specifically witch hunts, like there is this great desire to codify everything and to like really take control of, of your society. And like, that's why you have, you know, so many, um, you know, colonies that are like, here's how we're going to do things. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. very strict rules. And I, I think this is just a part of that is, is we have to, to make rules for women and we have to make rules for children and everyone has their role. Which is very fashy. <laughs> they have to exert control over it. Oh, I, I like the point about how witch hunts are just primitive accumulation. And it's like, wow, that is a great way to put that. Like, it is just a, it's a violent process where at the end of the day, you have, you've made yourself more productive. Mm-hmm. And one class of people, you know, in this case, you know, dominant man has brought about their dominant station by subjugating another class, right? So just as the capitalists go gallivanting about and conquering places and destroying the natives and enslaving them uh, to, to, you know, just to build on that, that river of blood, their own palaces. That's so, I mean, that's sort of what happens here with, with, with the patriarchy is it's built on this horrific scene. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're doing it internally as well. She has an aside here about basically turfs, which I'm really glad she brought up. Yeah, some of the listeners might not know what the acronym turfs stands for. Yes, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists. They're bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's Christine's yeah. two word review. Yeah, it's adequate. That's a good review. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to know what it is, it's basically people who um, are very obsessed with biology and, you know, are into the idea of like, you know, it is actually more feminist to be anti-trans because you are supporting, you know, quote unquote, real women and that a woman's experience is inherently tied up in their biology and stuff like that. It's, it's gross stuff. Wow. Yeah. It's really not good. Yeah. Cannot recommend that. But... Abigail makes a point to talk about how like, hey, that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> I think it's, it's again, it's that idea of, of yes and, because like, yeah, there are definitely some, some biologically rooted origins of this stuff, because we've just been talking about baby making. And like, yeah, that, that's going to affect women in certain ways. But it's not like if you were, you know, someone who is infertile or something, you know, who cannot have children, like that you would totally be exempt from these rules. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't not be considered a woman in terms of society's kind of sexism or just in general. I mean, people would still think of you as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, she's just talking about how like, hey, like that's not (laughs) that's not what we're doing here. This is an economic base that also is influenced by like social changes as well. Yeah, I'd like that analysis of sexism kind of growing on its own, even though it's rooted in this economic base, like the superstructure can change in its, you know, the culture and society and all those things around it can change in ways unrelated really to economics. It's not determinist is what it, you know we're saying. It's like there are these cultural elements that move of their own volition, move, you know, move with society, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's the same reason you hear people say kind of what they think are hot takes of like, well, if men could have babies, like this would be totally different. And you're like, I mean, it'd be different. Yeah, but like, we'd still have some problems. That's not going to solve the problems. 
Yeah, that's true. It's just important to not reduce people to parts. Like, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. So don't do that. And uh, yeah, I like the, this is another production value thing, the whole just casually <laughs> setting up the barbarian scene. <laughs> yeah, I know. I forgot because like we had watched this video a long time ago and then we decided to bring it back for an episode. Um, so I forgot what was going to happen. I'm like, why, why is she stripping? Okay, now, now I remember. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. It was worth it. All right, then we get to chapter four. Yes. The really off the wall stuff. Yeah, and, and this is where she gets to kind of what I really wanted her to get to was kind of the connection between witch hunts and, and racism, particularly lynching. You know, she talks about some of the historical instances of, of black women being persecuted for, for witchcraft. And then very shortly afterwards is when we, we start lynching black people, and which we are still doing through police violence, by the way. Yes, I did appreciate that. Uh parallel you know being explicitly drawn there yes yeah i mean to me like i mentioned at the top like i i view i kind of view those as already connected like i'm glad you know she made this connection as well but like to me just from what i had already learned about it through like you know reading the crucible and stuff like that it was like yeah Mm -hmm. like this is very clearly just some veiled racism very thinly veiled it's just like straight up racism oh yeah yeah you know, and that's definitely connected. And you can see that, I think, too, as, you know, someone with, like, you know, a Mexican background as well, like, banning religious traditions is a long and <laughs> and has a long and storied past in colonialism slash capitalism. Like, that's just what you do. And a lot of that is tied up in racism. So, yeah. Yeah, and they're all ways of exerting dominance of stomping someone down and showing them that their place, you know, uh, with you're saying that, you know, with the banning of religious practices or with, you know, destroying your temple and building a, a cathedral on it or with lynchings with, uh, that's, it's interesting. And it's, it's, uh, she brings it up in the video, uh, that lynchings, uh, skyrocket after the civil war. It's it's during Reconstruction and its aftermath that you start to see lynchings on, on the rise. And lynchings really go, really get crazy after Reconstruction is over because there's a time period when uh, the government was uh, under President Grant. The, the, the Department of the Department of Justice was like going and hunting down the Klan. Really, basically took them out. But you. Uh, have after that like an attempt to reassert white supremacy and saying like we're going back to the way things were don't care what happened in civil war don't care what happened in reconstruction we're putting it back to you know um you could argue it but i i don't to basically our country's founding ideology of white supremacy (laughs) absolutely absolutely we're going yes. back to that is what is what lynchings were saying in a concrete and terrifying way to black Americans. Yeah, I, I think that's something that doesn't get discussed as much as kind of the timeline of these things. I, I think you could you could have the impression that like, no, the really bad stuff would be like right after the Civil War, during the Civil War. Like, you know, when you talk about things like Confederate statutes, it's like, when were those put up, guys? Uh, not like it yep. happened the day after that battle. They decide to make a statue, this cool guy. It's like, no. So that you wouldn't someone's forget. Someone's like, yeah. grandchildren did it. <laughs> yeah. And in the, yeah, in, the, in the nadir of American race relations and everything in the early 1900s, I mean, that's when everything was at its worst. But, you know, and, and to bring it back to 
to bring it back to the witch hunts, that's an example again of establishing now male capitalist domination, right? Is women are going to be in their place and the ones who don't, this is what happens. Yeah, yeah, it is this brutal show of power, absolutely. She also compares it in terms of like the crimes they would be charged for, like a lot of, like we said, a lot of witchcraft crimes were kind of tied up in like sexual crimes and a lot of lynchings were as well. Like that was kind of the, the classic charge would be, you know, you you raped a white woman, you whistled a white woman, you know, whatever this thing, setting these these people up as as a, a sexual predator so you have an excuse to to intimidate them. Yeah. And then um, I like how she mentioned that, you know, when overt lynchings anyway, uh, and witch hunts end up petering out. It's because they largely have accomplished their goals. They succeed in, you know, in subjugating a, a class of people, uh, of asserting their dominance, and they replace those old charges with kind of specific codified crimes, vagrancy, disturbances, fornication, being poor in public, like different, you know, things that they could say, oh, we're being impartial here. We're not doing any of that barbaric old stuff. Things that are absolutely still crimes today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love to prosecute poor people. Yeah, it, it in effect still targets the so you know the the people who you want to make social outcasts, and and it it does the same thing in a more sanitized way. I guess is what I mean to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, she talks about this quote from this Hobbes guy. What the fuck, dude? Fuck Hobbes, man. <laughs> like, how do you do that? She says, you know, after the witch hunts, you'd think a lot of people would go back and be like, oh my gosh, like that was pretty fucked up, right? <laughs> But, like, a right. lot of people, including this Hobbes motherfucker, was basically like, eh, it was for the greater good. <laughs> yeah, I realized that it didn't, you know, it wasn't true, but it was good and I would do it again, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Insane. Not Insane sorry. Take. But this was the guy that, if you've ever heard the quote of nasty, brutish, and short, um, he thinks like people are just shits and they need like a strong, powerful government to keep them in line. Ugh, okay. He sounds like a real piece of work. Yeah, he thinks everyone, you know, wants to murder everyone else and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think, again, that kind of goes back to that Puritan tradition of, like, you know, the ori idea of original sin and the idea of predestination and, you know, people are inherently good or evil, and so we have to regiment how they can act. Puritanism, guys. <laughs> I think it's I think it's one of our great evils. <laughs> really? I didn't know that about you. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was all about it. You thought I like cosplay is that I have like one of those little hats, you know, what are they called? <laughs> A little bonnet thing. Little handmade hats. <laughs> <laughs> so heading into the last section, I really enjoyed this quote of, of witches are a non-consumer category, which I... <laughs> I scrolled down and looked through some of the comments and someone said, tell that to Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Which is true. Like there is a big market right now for witch stuff. Like it absolutely has been commodified and like, yeah, that's a thing. If, if it can be sold, capitalism's going to do it. But I think if you're coming from it from a, I don't want to say like pure, but like there are ways to do it where it's not like that. Like 
the the book I mentioned earlier, Enchantments, is very much like, hey, do it however you need to do it. You don't have to go out and buy a specific type of candle or a whatever. She talks about flushing your intentions down the toilet because like, it's water, great, it works. You know, like don't, you don't have to be precious about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is It is about making do with what you have and, and the intention behind it is much more important than like the materials and the ritual and then, you know, how much you spent on it, definitely. Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, to be honest, I didn't know what to make of the quote. I was I was just looking for your insight <laughs> on that. I was like, I don't I don't know. I guess are they? <laughs> I mean, they they absolutely could be. Um, but I, I think if you're coming at it from a lens of I'm going to try to move these forces to make a thing happen, or to you know, like I said, you know, make myself respond in a certain way or whatever it is you can do that in multiple ways. Like I talked about earlier, like it's a very flexible process. It's a very like there, I'm sure there are some witches who are like, no, you have to do it this way or it doesn't fucking work. But it's like, chill out, you know, like not. (laughs) Man, I can hear him hitting unsubscribe already. (laughs) I know we're going to get so many messages from angry, which is like, no, you're doing it all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But my understanding of it is just like, whatever fucking works for you. And you know, whatever you have access to is fine. Yeah, that makes sense. And then we, we finish up with kind of like a discussion we've pretty much already have, which is the idea of like, you know, you're going to have people out there kind of rationalizing all this, not necessarily explicitly witch hunts, except unless you're Hobbes. <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> so are like, some diseased minds out there that are doing that. But. <laughs> it was a good thing. But, you know, capitalism as a whole, there are lots of people. Oh, my gosh. I run our social media. There's so many people. <laughs> <laughs> who who yeah. spend their time on this earth, their limited time on this doomed planet, defending <laughs> this system that has, you know, put so many people through the meat grinder. Um, but look, saying, look how many people have cell phones. Exactly. <laughs> Aren't you better off? And ugh, it's, just, it's frustrating on a lot of levels. Like, it's frustrating on that, like I said, that humanist level of like, hey, that's it's still fucked up that's you know ends do not always justify the means guys it's it's frustrating on a logical level too of like okay actually you know the classic question of how many people people have communism killed it's like well let me ask you about capitalism do you have a minute (laughs) to talk about imperialism (laughs) it's also to me frustrating on like a justice level too because often Mm -hmm. when those arguments are made at least in my case, you know, people be like, well, look how good you have it. I'm like, fucking, I know I have it good. I want other people to have it good too. Yeah. Like people are not thinking about how many people are left out. Like what, who's upon whose back are you standing whenever you're talking about, Oh, you know, Americans have all these good benefits that, you know, you wouldn't want to throw that away. Like that was capitalism that gave you this. And it's like, yeah, but whose blood did I drink essentially to, to get this. Yeah. It's almost like they talk about it. Like it's, it's pure luck or something. Like, aren't you glad you're born American? I'm like, I guess for my personal benefit. Yeah. But like, that's pretty fucked up that that has to be the case. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's a, I mean, it's just, it's casual dehumanizing of people. Just don't, don't think, you know, don't think about that sector of the world. It's (laughs) sad, but like, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? There's always the poor will always be among you, you know, and it's let you know, letting that be there. And I think she touches on this in the video by, you know, talking about these people who rationalize 
capitalism and just say, well, you know, maybe it was justified. You had to do it to get where we are today. But we just literally don't know that. Like, there are alternatives that could have happened. Other roads we could have taken. What if the diggers, like, had had done it? (laughs) What if they had dug, you know? (laughs) Yeah, what if they dug in? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, what if somewhere along the way we take an alternative path and ended up doing some sort of a, and, and I mean, to be honest, historical materials would tell you like, you know, that probably would not have happened. Well, I guess we don't know for sure. You know, it could have been, we, we, we could have developed differently. Maybe that's another issue I have with that, that idea of like scientific socialism. It's, it is, you know, like you were saying, like with tarot, you can look at things and be like, well, this one didn't apply, but that's fine because this applied. I Mm kind of feel that way about like, that that scientific socialism because you can just like throw things out that don't fit in with your theory and just be like yeah well you know obviously this is correct because this is the march of time it's like you don't actually know that yeah and i think that good you know a good approach to scientific socialism isn't you know a dogmatic oh this is what we're going to apply to everything it's like we can try to apply the you know and and see where it works you're looking for patterns and trying to build off of that but you should be wary of exceptions. And I, I think that like good thinkers, good, you know, good Marxists have been able to do that. You know, if you think about, you know, Lenin and Trotsky and everything, they're arguing about what, how, you know, how could Marx apply in Russia because it was such a different situation or Mao in China did kind of the same thing. It's like, we got a totally different situation here. We got to do something kind of different, right? The success stories have come where people take that original you know, the OG shit and, and like adapt it to their situation. <laughs> Remix. Yeah. 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 And, and that's why like, <laughs> I always enjoy in every theory reading the shruggy paragraph, I call it where they're just like, I don't know, it's gonna be weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it's actually gonna happen. <laughs> it's like a disclaimer. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the discussion of how capitalism brutally got us to where we are today. The flip side of that is that now that we're here, you know, we can't just like dismantle it in a stupid way. Like it's fine for us to use (laughs) the things that it's gotten us to go in a different direction. You know, it's not fine to just keep doing capitalism, but it's fine to like use the ill gotten fruits that it's created. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go full primitivist or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely be watching more Philosophy Tube. Um, I thought it was great. And I mean, it's a great nexus of my interests, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, very niche. Yeah, this one was super you. <laughs> I, I really like how she framed it of this isn't necessarily a simple case of, you know, a deliberate plot kind of thing. It, it's more yeah. like analyzing the causes and effects of, of this social shift in, in how women are viewed. No, I thought it was a super great analysis, really broke it down. I mean, just like you said, you know, says this isn't a deliberate plot, but here are the moving parts. Here's what happens. Here's like what went into it. Here's what people did. Here's what comes out of it. Here's a, you know, uh, you're better able to explain the world you live in today. Yeah. Yeah. Here are the results. So, mm-hmm. I actually haven't done my weekly tarot reading yet, so maybe I'll go do that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll make it a little more leftist. See if this this Striketober is going to work out for us. I'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, also you do you, so like do your insight thing and all that. (laughs) Maybe I'll do two readings. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry, listeners, we talked about this earlier on our call before we started recording. Grady's 
Zoom profile picture is his cat, so <laughs> it just looks like I've been talking to his cat for like two hours. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. It makes me laugh every time I look at it. I should spend more of my days speaking to Danjan. He would be a great conversationalist. I spend an obscene amount of time talking to my animals, so it's pretty good. I'm usually singing to mine. Oh, I do a lot of songs, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to be discussing worker co-ops. Yeah, I've heard of these. My uh, idiot envisioning of it is like a hippie grocery store. <laughs> That's what I assume all co-ops are. All co-ops. So, so, so yeah, we, we want the, uh, yeah, we want the economy to be run by hippie grocery stores. That's it. That's all you have. <laughs> I assume, I mean, there's that one episode of King of the Hill about them. So that's why I know about co-ops. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pretty good. We'll talk about what worker co-ops are and I mean, kind of the spectrum of, you know, everything from just the anti, like what we have now, uh, brought, you know, throughout the, throughout society of just private ownership and, and everything like that, the, the spectrum from that all the way up to, you know, full worker control of the economy overall and what's in between, you know, there, there's, there's, like I said, a spectrum, kind of a gradient of different options you can choose from. Well, you know, I'm queer, you know, I love a spectrum. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love nuance. Yes, and. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that'll be fun. See you next week then. All right, see ya. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Currently, TeePublic is running a sale from the 27th through the 31st of October. You get $13 t-shirts and everything else is up to 35% off. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all. <laughs>